Welcome to cat-dog, it says. Well, it says it in Dutch. <laughs> so this is a, probably a facility where you can, uh, you, can, you can bring your cat and your dog when you go on a, on a vacation, and they will take care of these animals, which is actually a huge market. There are even services that will walk the dog for you. Of course, cats usually don't need to be walked. They are above that. They will determine. They will walk you sometimes. But uh, yeah, this is still the summertime, of course, and lots of people are going away. Not very far this year because there's still, of course, the paralyzing grip of the coronavirus also here in Europe. Um, it's not as bad as in some other parts of the world, and I'm constantly hearing all these disturbing, uh, all this disturbing news from the virus being so damaging, so dangerous in the United States, and uh, making so many victims. Uh, over here in Europe, it seems to be currently in a calmer phase, but of course, you never know. Uh, there's always the risk that people become neg- negligent, and that uh, the virus will be back. But still, a lot of people are uh, taking a break in, in their own country. Uh, and of course, the Netherlands is a small country, but also a very beautiful country. And uh, another advantage is you don't have to travel far. So you can always find an area to camp or to walk. Or lots of people are just, you know, making these tours by bike, which is, of course, also something that I am doing quite a bit this month with my the concept for my TV show <laughs> where I, I made the silly decision to go tour the Netherlands by bike. But, as I told you in the last episode, if you put some energy into moving, into physical exercise, it will also generate energy, not just physical, but more importantly, mental, creative energy. And so I can understand that a lot of people are on the move because this is the time of year where you try to recharge yourself for whatever the next part of the year will, will bring us. Today I wanted to talk about something near and dear to my heart. And that is the reasons that I'm so happy to be a priest. And that may sound almost reckless to talk about that in a time where Um, So many people are unhappy with the church. And also a lot of people that are part of the church are unhappy with their own church or with their priests. The reason that I want to talk about this is a conversation that I had earlier today when I left the the supermarket. I was doing my groceries. I was getting some, uh, some coffee. Actually, I completely switched to, believe it or not, this sounds very sacrilegious. I switched to uh, soluble coffee, so coffee in powder form. <laughs> and it's just because I want to economize some, some money. And there is no way I can ever reach the level of quality uh, that coffee should have. I will, well, in time, I will travel back to Italy to get myself some real coffee but for now it's just easy and quick and I usually just drink one cup of coffee in the morning just to get the engine up and running and so yeah it's just just medicine in a certain way 
So I was uh, leaving the supermarket with some of my groceries, and then I, um, I meet this older couple. Actually, they turned out to be much older than I, than I thought they, they were. Uh, both of them were 85 years old, but they looked as if they were, like, barely 70 years old. Um, and they, they looked at me and it's like, we, we recognize you, but we don't know why. And I said, well, I'm, I live here in the, in, the, in the rectory near the church here. Oh, maybe. But well, we're actually not from here. Uh, we're visiting our, our son who lives here, but we're from the west, of, the west part of the country. I thought, well, maybe you know me from TV? I don't know. And then we get in a conversation. It turns out that they're from the same region as where I was raised, in the, the western part. So it's the Rotterdam region. They, they call it the Westland, which sounds very adventurous. <laughs> it is not in real life, I, I promise you. It's kind of flat and it's grassy and the usual cows and windmills uh, for tourists. It's beautiful for us in Holland. It's like, yeah, give us mountains. <laughs> so boring and flat here. Anyway, and then they asked me, do you know this certain priest? Uh, so they mentioned his name. And I was like, yeah. And I, I heard that th- there was something going on in his life or I was taking a break or something. And then they tell me this entire story about everything that happened to this priest and how they feel that uh, that the 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 church the oh they they call it the church or the diocese has been so kind of cold towards this priest and 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 in their communication etc and uh, a lot of you know stories that I recognize I I do experience from time to time that same lack of lack of warmth in, in the way that certain people in the Catholic Church communicate, also bishops or dioceses. The, there is this, this formal attitude that is uh, sometimes very different from what you see with, uh, for instance, uh, uh, someone like Pope Francis, who is, um, when he is in contact with, with the flock, very warm and and welcoming, and well, he may also have another side when he is trying to govern um, this uh, dovetail that the Vatican Curia is. But um, but in his, you know, face-to-face personal contacts, he's very warm and welcoming. And sometimes you're like, well, I wish that we could all be a bit like that. Always have a smile on your face and listen to people and um, feel their pain and being compassionate and. Especially these past few years, I, I think, f- it, from my point of view, I think it has to do a lot with the the secularization and the feeling that many in the Catholic Church have, and also other Christian churches that we're we're starting to disappear. You know, we're we're uh, we're uh, being more and more pushed to the fringes of society and of uh, life in general in in society. And we get anxious. When we feel threatened, the risk is always to build walls. I mean, that's true for our personal lives in society as well. Look at these trends of new nationalism in many countries where it's the fear of change, the fear of 
the complexity of life, which is very strongly on our radar since the coronavirus, of course, has shown us how fragile our societies are. And even though a couple of years ago we, we felt almost invincible economically and in terms of everything that we could accomplish, all of a sudden it's, it's all gone, or it seems to be gone at least. And that makes us anxious about the future. It makes us uncertain. And so you, you try to find uh, something you can hold on to. And what I've seen oftentimes in the church is this rigidity. It's looking at old forms. Um, it's a certain nostalgia of a, of a romanticized past. As long as we go back to the way things were before the Second Vatican Council, for instance, there's this whole trend among certain groups that if we just revert to the forms and the state of the church in the good old times, then we'll do fine. Well, I don't think that that is true. And I also believe that it is a risk that we tend to forget what is truly making us train long train fast train going to the east of the country um, sometimes the more you try to hold on to things the more you lose it I mean that's the logic the kind of strange logic of the gospel and I think the same is true for for the church the, the, the more you try to grasp for things rules or whatever or past the less you hold on to the one, the person who is the church, who is the head of the church, and that is Christ. And Christ always helps you there where you are. Uh, Jesus is never uh, fixing the situation in the gospel, even though there was a lot to, that need, needed to be fixed. The situation in, in, the, in the Holy Land was dire, and uh, many people are, were looking for political uh, solutions for people that would change the situation. Jesus changes the relationship of people towards others, towards themselves, and towards God. And that is what generates the miracles. That is what is affecting the change, the true change. Um, so he doesn't change the world, for instance, to prevent people from ever getting sick. But he changes the heart of the people that are sick and uh, it's that relationship itself that heals not only themselves but also the bystanders and so I think for the church it's probably the same if we are fearful about uh, I have to go down the stairs here and walk underneath the train tracks to get to the other side um, as long as we keep uh, forgetting that and, and the more we think that, well, we have to change the rules, we have to change the functioning of the church, we need to change everything and everyone except for ourselves, we're not going to be very happy because we will, we will fail to see any results. So change should start with yourself. And so, but I've, I've seen this reaction where people are becoming rigid and fearful and... Uh, are trying to fix the situation or for instance management has been has become such a 
a massive aspect of the life of priests nowadays because the church is shrinking. So you've got all the financial problems and the, the question what to do with all these buildings that you no longer need. And so a lot of the energy of priests is currently sacrificed to just simple management or simple, it's very complex management but that is not why we've become priests and you see the same on the level of dioceses where bishops sometimes are more managerial in their style than pastoral and I'm not saying that management isn't part of any situation in life even just on a personal level you have to manage your your family, you have to manage your time, manage your finances. So that's, but it should never become the the main course. It should, it's something that facilitates the rest of your life. But if you're not careful, it becomes all you care about. And I think that sometimes um, in our church, or sometimes actually quite often, on every level of the church, we've fallen into that trap thinking that we have to fix the situation and forgetting that what needs fixing is our soul, is who we are, it's our relationship to God and to each other. And all the rest will follow. That is what what constitutes the kingdom of God. It's not a kingdom like a political kingdom. Jesus is not a king in in the sense of a political ruler. He is a king but he's a king of our hearts and his relationship to us is a personal relationship not an economic one or financial one or whatever so he wants to change our hearts and thereby that's how he builds his kingdom and in the church we often do anything but that and then there is out of fear fear makes you always distant from from other people right if you fear and judge others you can't really affect change. It's the thing that um, that Cliff reminded me of in one of our conversations. He said, if you judge people, you can't change people as long as you judge them. And I've given it a lot of thought recently, and I think that is a, that's absolutely true. If I judge other people, I don't even want to help them. I just want to push them away. There is a lot of judging happening in the church. And I should say in churches, because this is widespread. Why, why do so many people are turning their backs on the church? That is not just the fault of these people. What if that is the fault of the church? Maybe people are turning their back on the church because we, the church... I should always make that personal. I'm part of that church. We've turned our backs to them. We've forgotten that our first mission is a pastoral mission. It is to connect people with God. Go and baptize people in the name of the in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So it's not sign them up for a membership with all the perks and benefits. And remind them of their monthly contribution or weekly by going to church. No, it's about give people the gift of this relationship with the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. That is what our mission should be about and is about. And if we don't do that, we shouldn't be 
surprised that people are not interested because we give them we don't give them what they are seeking what they're looking for everyone seeks God at least that is a very Catholic conviction that we all have this inner thirst for God's love and every single human being is the same but if you only if you give them anything but water but the living water that is Jesus then they'll seek elsewhere and I think that is a main problem right now of the Catholic Church is we're, we're losing our energy and our time uh, on things that are just should be in the periphery of what we do um Financial worries, talks about buildings, um, even even the, this this tendency of, of fixating on the rules. You know, as long as people follow the rules, as long as people are adhering to every single comma and 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 and, and prescription of what the church teaches and prescribes, that's where we'll have the pure church that will be good again and I was like mm. even the question bring up the rules is already something that uh, out, it's kind of out of desperation it's probably because those rules make you feel safe like, like oh well if we lose people it's because they didn't follow the rules that's not that's not how it works it's it's, it's people walk away because they don't find friendship they don't. Are, they're unable to have a, a a personal relationship with the church in the form of the people that are called to be and represent this church. So, I'm hearing so many stories from people that are disappointed in the church, disappointed by the way things are managed and the the, the all the the strive and the struggles and the fights that are going on. Up until the highest levels in the in the Vatican, you know, the the past few years have revealed so much of this the crap that was going on in the Vatican. I have no other words for it: the financial uh, uh, machinations, the the fraud, the the abuse, the cover-ups, all that. For years and years, we've seen how much the Church is ill and needs healing. And we think that we can fix the situation by focusing on management. That is, of course, totally ridiculous. The only one who can heal the church is Christ himself. And so we should focus all our energy in reconnecting with him. It sounds logical, right? But we don't do it like that. We just keep plotting. And some of the stuff I've, I've mentioned before, I have the feeling that even this corona time, which... You know, in Old Testament times, would probably be seen as a sign from God that he's fed up with the situation and he wants us to make some changes. <laughs> this corona time is definitely a time that should make us reflect on, okay, so who do we want to be? If our churches are closed, can we still be a church? If, <laughs> if nobody comes to Mass, you know, all this, this fuzzing about liturgical rules, etc., completely redundant because well 
there are no people to, to, to ignore the rules, right? So it, this is a time, I've, always, I've said this before, this is a time of grace. It's kind of like an imposed retreat in a certain way. And of course, next to this, this is also a time of crisis and of incredible suffering for many people. But it is in the suffering that you can find God and he's going to pull you through. Not only that, he's also going to help you to get out of this situation if you allow him better than before. And so for me, this has been a time to rethink who am I as a priest? How can I be close to people despite social distancing and despite our, our empty churches? One of the ways in which I try to do that is by, you know, the internet uh, transmission of, of the international mass. But of course, it's not about the te- techniques. It's not about the, the, the streams. It is about the connection. It's about the relationship. It's, and uh, if there's one thing that, I, that these international masses have taught me is that it's, the numbers are ir- irrelevant in a certain way. There are not that many people watching. But the quality of, the, uh, of, of what, what it affects, what it makes people feel. I've had so many emails from people that tell me I've, I haven't been to church in a decade. Or I've had this or that experience with a priest or with a parishioner or, or with a bishop. Or a, and I've, I just was fed up with the church and with its attitude towards me and towards other people. The judgmental impression that the Catholic Church gives. You know, the way it talks about people that are different. Uh, that are not following the rules. That are not the way they should be in view of the of the catholic church that, that you know judging other people instead of working on themselves when and then seeing all the scandals and all the the stuff that's going on in the church on all levels how can i how can i feel part of that church anymore and yet now that i now that I'm able to join this international mass, I, I feel some, there's more than this. There is, I mean, it's, it's not gone, but the, all, 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 the, all my negative impressions of the church, but this is something different. This, is, this helps me to breathe again. This helps me to pray, to find God. And I've been asking myself, oh, so what is it? I don't do anything out of the ordinary. I'm following all the rules. <laughs> In many ways, uh, the international mass is even a little bit retro in a sense that we, we use Gregorian chants and uh, the, 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 the style of the liturgy is, is kind of, you know, classic. So what makes such a difference? And I think it is um, this feeling of intimacy. Because it's a, it's a small community... And we, we really try as much as we can to involve this community in the celebration, even though they are very far apart. Uh, you know, a lot of the people that watch the Mass are on the other side of the world, but they can still share their worries, um, their prayer intentions. We mention their names. We greet them in the chat room. We make them feel at home. Even we put much more effort in that in the international masses than I would do in a real face-to-face mass. Because, well, you, you kind of forget that that is important. 
But because people can't be there in real life, that's when, you know, you have to realize how important it is for people to feel welcome and to establish that personal relationship. And that taught me a lot about what we forget to do in our usual uh, approach of, of, of people. And, and uh, there's definitely a lot of, that, of the lessons learned in Corona time that I would love to integrate in our day-to-day uh, church life after this Corona crisis. But I've seen the same temptation uh, all around me of just reverting back to the way things were before the Corona crisis. And then I was like, haven't we learned anything? It, it, it is a missed opportunity. And so maybe God does want to teach us something in the middle of this crisis. And that is that without shepherds, without this personal connection, without a real community that actually prays for each other, that cares for each other, that goes that shares so much more than just prayers and songs and and uh, maybe uh, you know uh, a pew in in church if we if we rediscover the value of community of true community and friendship then that is healing people it is helping them to connect with the church the way the church should be uh, a family of god a family of people that try to follow Jesus with all their flaws and failings because we're all human but it's the same love that we have for for Jesus and for each other and that is something that that can can really uh, it, it almost spreads like a virus or like an antivirus in a certain way it's it's a it's a medicine against the this this feeling of of d- disillusion of of uh, disappointment that that so many uh, people feel when they look at the church uh, uh, in in their own neighborhood, and so this is what I love about being a priest. I know that um, many of my colleagues are are having a very tough time with the secularization and the 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 burden of all the responsibilities that they've been given in the in this situation of change i know that many of them feel more managers than pastors and i've seen so many so so much damage coming from this situation that we put our priests in and I've, I've heard so many stories about priests actually abandoning their vocation or compensating by getting a relationship, by falling in love, by... And, and oftentimes, of course, I can't judge every case from a distance, but many times it's not about the relationship. It's this idea or this dream that this relationship will give them a fulfillment that they can't find in their priestly lives. And then often what happens is after a couple of years, not only have they abandoned the priesthood, and they can't, well, they can't actually do what they were called to do one day, but their relationship also crumbles and falls apart because the relationship was, was just, it was something to fill a need 
and so it was much more of a of a tool <laughs> it's a the, the, the relationship was of use to them or seemed to be of use to them but it didn't really fill the hole in their soul because it's, it's something totally different that they needed so despite the fact that I hear so many of these stories and that I also see that in my own parish so many people are are disappointed with the way the church is behaving right now and the things that they focus on and worry about and the things that they don't do. It's sin by omission, not always by action. And so uh, I, I've always tried to steer away from cynicism because that is the easiest way to solve the situation is to shrug you know what, I'll just do my thing. I don't care. I mean, it's a, what are you, you going to do? What are you going to do about it? Um, and unfortunately, that's, that's, a, that's a solution that some of my colleagues have chosen. And they become very cynical towards everything, even towards themselves. That is never a solution. God doesn't want us to be cynical. Have you ever seen Jesus be cynical? Like, you Pharisees, there's nothing God can do with you. No, he's always challenging them. He's like, well, we come, come on, guys. Don't be this plastered grave. Just change your life. And <laughs> it's this call to conversion that characterizes Jesus. Not, never, Jesus never shrugs. He's like, oh, what are you going to do? The world is, is a mess. You know, let me go home. <laughs> there's nothing for me to gain here. <laughs> no, of course not. Well, why do we display that, that, that attitude that is so unlike anything we see Jesus do? And even, even the followers of Jesus, the, the apostles, they, they give their life for their mission. And, and they've been in, in situations that were so much more desperate than, than ours in our times. We have so many opportunities and abilities and, and, and media to reach people. And, and experience, centuries-old experience, and yet we're, we're giving up on ourselves, we're giving up on, on the church, we're giving up on God, we give up on our priests and on our bishops. Cynicism is never a solution. It's a patch. Um, so, what, what, is, what do I try to do? Um, first of all, what I think has kept me level-headed all these, over all these years, and despite the crisis that the church is in, is always a, having a sense of humor, <laughs> starting with myself. I don't try to take myself too seriously because I know that I have many flaws. And uh, it, sometimes you just have to laugh about yourself. I'm not always... Uh, managing to do that in every circumstance but definitely over time you know if I look back on on what I thought to be huge moments of crisis in my life I've now learned that they were moments of growth and that constantly asking myself not how how can I change the situation but how can I change myself how can I change how I deal with this situation that has always been the key to advancement and to growth um, so, not taking myself too seriously has, has been, I think, a good 
antidote to uh, cynicism. The second thing is uh, acknowledge your talents. This is contrary to how I was raised. I have shared before that my mom has had a, um, a Chinese education and some of that she has also, I think, integrated in her own, in the way she raised us. And one of the, one of the things that she kept saying is, well, yes, you have talents, but you cannot never boast about it. You always have to be super modest. And, but sometimes it, that would turn into self-deprecation, in a, not in a positive way, but in just like a certain underestimation of what, what you could do. Um, it was this strange combination of both we were pushed to make the most out of our talents and so to really do our best in school and but at the same time we could never be proud of what we did and at least that's 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 the effect that it had on me and so I've I've had many years I where I I was not very self-assured I I I I wasn't sure that I was being of any value to other people and 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 I was very insecure about what to do and about my own abilities um, and so if things would go right I would always say well that is just coincidence or you know it's, it's I I can't pet myself on the back for that there are so many other people that have contributed to this and so but it was also almost as a a form of, of not acknowledging how much God has blessed me with with these gifts, and that so if if God gives me these talents, well, it's probably because He has faith in me, and so the, the, acknowledging your gifts and your talents is also acknowledging the fact that God has has uh, given you these gifts, and and apparently. Um, counts on you and that is a huge thing is that that's a big deal to know people are sitting outside here listening to music enjoying the late afternoon sunshine um, so being thankful and and also accepting gifts that's another thing we always were taught to um, to if someone would offer us a cookie or something like that we were to not to always say well no thank you no 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 that's too much you know someone would invite us for dinner no 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 we don't want to be a burden you know <laughs> and I've, I've, I've discovered that um, and, they, and allowing other people to, do, to be good for you to help you is actually giving them a gift the gift of being good and if you say, oh, no, 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 not necessary, I can do it, my- I will do it myself. No, don't bother, don't bother. You're actually allowing, you're, you're robbing someone from the ability to, to do something good for you. And uh, how does that relate to my, my priesthood? Um, after years and years of not feeling good enough as a priest and only f- looking at my flaws and... Uh, Comparing myself also to other priests, and, and thinking, you know, I, I'm, I'm nothing compared to these priests. I was definitely 
ignoring the, the great gifts that God had given me. And instead of making me proud um, and, and feeling loved, I was just pushing that away. You know, who am I? I'm nothing. And uh, that had a very specific effect on the way I would confess. Uh, so I go to confession... Um, I've had many times priests telling me that I was way too scrupulous. It's like, and, and some priests have really tried to open my eyes and said, you know, the first thing is to, the reason that we celebrate the sacrament is not so you can just be super scrupulous and, and go over every single flaw that you can remember. This is the sacrament of, of, a, of feeling how much God loves you. That he loves you despite all these flaws that are in God's eyes are so unimportant. What matters is your heart that goes out to him and how much you want to restore your relationship with him. And, and I just, I couldn't, it, it didn't compute. I, I couldn't integrate that in my life. And it's only gradually over time that I think that God helped me to, to allow him to love me and to, and that he gave me permission to be glad with what I could mean to other people. And in, so instead of telling myself every week, I'm not good enough and I've missed this opportunity and I should have done that. If you've been a long-time listener, you remember these episodes about the should have, could have, would have. <laughs> that was my inner speak was so focused on these expressions. I should have done that. Oh, I could have done that. Oh, I would have done that if I hadn't been so lazy, forgetful, etc., etc. So constantly blaming myself. And I thought it was actually that I was very virtuous doing that. And I would also have that same uh, attitude in my life as a priest towards my superiors. I would always feel this insecurity. I, I was very bad at accepting... Uh, authority because authority always felt like a threat um, if I had to go to see the rector of the seminary for instance it was oftentimes because I messed up I didn't follow the rules I didn't come to morning prayer etc and I've had a lot of these confrontations and that, that only um, strengthened this feeling of not being good enough not being the model seminarian and as a priest, same thing. So often I've had these encounters with fellow priests or with bishops, etc. And feeling inferior, not feeling good enough, uh, getting discouraged. And, and it's especially these, these last couple of years, ever since I walked to Santiago, I've, I've really let that go. And I'm, I'm grateful of being able to be the priest uh, that I am <laughs> with all the flaws and all the missed opportunities and could have, would have, should have. But what does it matter? What, what matters to God is, so, but what did you do? And that's great. And <laughs> it's the same way that parents can look in when they're trying to educate and raise their children. They can nitpick all the flaws of their child and missing the bigger picture of that child trying and succeeding, but failing more often than succeeding. But you look at the success and you try to encourage that. That's the way God looks at us. 
even if we fail for 99% of the time and there's this 1% that, that we do good, that is what's going to save us. And that is what he's going to look at and, and encourage. And it's always that, ap- uh, that, uh, that approach in, as a teacher, for instance, also. You know that there's nothing more detrimental to the development of children than to only fixate on the things that the child does wrong. You always look for what is a redeeming quality of this child and what makes this child special and unique. And you try to convey that to children and that will strengthen their self-image and it will help them to improve in other domains as well. But if you have teachers that only look at the flaws of a child, those are the worst teachers. And if you look back on your own education, I'm pretty sure you can, you can name some of these people that have, have damaged you because they make, made you feel not good enough. But you are good enough. And God, even better than any one of us, can see the good in us, even if it's just a glimmer. For God, it's a shining light because it is a reflection of his own goodness and the talents that he gave, gave, gave you, and he only wants to awaken that and, 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 and strengthen that. So if God looks at us this way, if we know that that is actually the best way of a teacher and a parent to look at children, why don't we look at ourselves in this way? And so being a happy priest means to accept yourself as a priest that does good and also messes up. Thankfully, because that, that gives us an occasion to seek God's help. And it, it, uh, it prevents you from becoming proud and um, uh, distant from others. It's the more you acknowledge that you are loved despite your flaws, that you will be able to love other people with flaws. And, and get over the flaws and get over the, the things that you criticize. And so, it, uh, accepting that you are loved and that God has given you so many gifts can help you to look at this in the same way to the rest of the church. A, a church that is ill and that needs help and prayers, that's a different way of looking at the church than uh, condemning the church for you know, being rotten to the core. If you, if you say to a child, you're a rotten child, that is not going to help the situation. It's not going to help the child. If you look at a child and you say, let me help you with that, or let me give you an example of what you could also do, that is, that is the way to, to lift up the child and to help it. So that is how I try to look at the church. And it's hard. It's difficult because our first initial reflex because that is what we've been taught, is to judge. You can't change what you judge. So let go of your judgment and try to look at the situation from the perspective of someone who is called to help. And even if you can't really change, you know, the the bureaucracy or... You know, people at a certain age don't change that that quickly anymore, and you may not be in a position to to improve the situation. But you can still pray. You can still try to do differently, 
And that is good enough. So also, don't, don't burden yourself with a responsibility that is not yours. Um, as, as a priest, of course, I have ideals and ambitions for the church. And of course, there are many times that I thought, oh, if only the church would do this. If only, I'm just going to sit down, I'm going to get a little bit tired of walking around. Um, if only the bishops would act in this or that way. If only in a parish we would do this or that. But the situation is the way it is. And so, in, and you can still be happy as a member of that church by changing your your own mindset, by reframing the situation, by looking at the positive in your own life, by focusing on the people that do make an impression on you, that, that show an example of, of what the church can mean to people and how they represent the church too. Um, if you have a basket full of fruit and 80% is rotten, you don't throw it away. No, you first look for that one pear or that one apple that isn't affected yet, and you take them out, and, and, and you throw away the rest. That is what we should do with the situation of the church. That's what I try to do. Yes, there is a lot that in the church that is sick, ill, uh, burned out, um, but there are also always good fruits. Focus on those. Try to always see those because God only looks at... at. He never writes off the situation because of... Even if the 80% of the fruit is rotten, he still will go look for the good fruits and he will celebrate that. Uh, Jesus says... If there is one sinner who converts, there, it, it's a feast in heaven, you know? If only one person converts and ter, ter, returns to God, that is a cause for celebration. That is, that, he's actually saying a lot by, by focusing on that. He's like, God is always looking for the glimmers of hope, for, for where the seed is, is getting roots and is, is, is getting... Even he himself, when he t- when he uh, shares the parable of the of the uh, of the the guy who goes out to uh, sow, um, like most of of the seeds fall in 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 soil where it won't take root and where it won't uh, bear fruit. Uh, so even Jesus is, is aware that a lot of of what God tries to accomplish will well, at least right now, will not immediately be a success. But there's always part of that seed that will grow into plants and will deliver fruit, and that's all that matters. And God will continue to go out in the fields and continue to sow, because he knows that eventually, ultimately, there will always be some good that comes from his efforts. Well, we should try to adopt that same mindset, and that will prevent you from, you know sour grapes and <laughs> thinking about uh, life in you know always only giving your you lemons make lemonade that's what god would do um what else makes me happy priest it is uh 
focusing on on thankfulness uh, for uh, being grateful uh, always be aware that um, this kind of matches the, what I said previously but to take time and to be deliberate about being grateful for what you've been given and that requires sometimes uh, uh, some time meditation uh, it's a good exercise at the end of the day to uh, go over the day and well the evening prayer or the the prayer before you go to sleep in the in the liturgy of the hours actually has a moment for that where it's a, an examination of conscience and i always interpreted that as looking at all the mistakes that you made during the day and then asking forgiveness but why not do it do both look at the things that didn't go right but also say thank you for everything that was a gift ultimately that is what remains the rest is you know when it's forgiven it's gone uh, but the gifts will remain the fruits will remain so always look at the fruits of what you do even if they're very small there's always something good every single day oh look at these, these birds they're taking a bath in the in the sand here oh that is so cute they're just having a blast just to, they're sitting in the sand where i'm i'm close to a supermarket here and there's a, a patch of sand and some flowers and these 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 birds are actually not that far away from me but they're just so much enjoying their sand bath i don't know why they do that but <laughs> the little things in life you know if the bird can enjoy himself so much we should also be happy with the, with the little things um so that's what i wanted to share with you so if i hear about priests that are in in a crisis um that are going through tough times even priests that are abandoning the priesthood I, I always try to pray for for them but also for my fellow priests and I hope that they do the same for, for me um, being a priest these days is not easy but ultimately what makes you a happy priest is not different from what makes anyone a happy person and, it, and the secret to happiness and contentment is in the things that I mentioned you know don't judge don't despair don't be cynical look at the gifts that God gives you the little moments where he shows you how much you are loved uh, how much he looks at the good in you even if you condemn yourself God is greater than your heart much greater than that and, and so even if your heart condemns you God doesn't condemn you he doesn't let go of you. He wants to help you. He wants to raise you up. He wants to carry you. He wants to strengthen you. Be like God. <laughs> do, this, do likewise and you will find happiness. All right, that wraps it up for this episode of The Walk. Thank you so much for listening. And go to fatherroderick.com for the other programs that I produce. And don't forget to say a prayer for all the priests in in your own uh, immediate region, close to you, or, or priests that nobody thinks of and that are going through very troubled times, um, say a prayer for them. They, they can use it. And be assured of my prayer for you. We'll talk soon. Take care and God bless.